Okay, we're going to read right from Romans chapter 5 as we have been going through the book of Romans and we find ourselves in the fifth chapter and verse 6, pretty well-known passage. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord, and in his book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching, John Piper said that the aims of preaching should be to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. And of those various aims, it is the third one that I am focused on in our meditation today, to open the heart to the love of God. This seems to be in accord with Paul's purpose in this fifth chapter of Romans. He's continuing to unfold for us the majesty of the gospel. He has told us already in this chapter that we have peace with God because we have been justified by His grace in Christ and so have been given this amazing access to the Father which we had lost because of our sin. Paul says that as a result, we are a people who exult in hope and even in our tribulations because we are recipients of this extraordinary, unquenchable love of Jesus. The verse that comes before this passage, verse 5, says the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then we get this connection made in the next few verses between the atoning death of Christ and our assurance of the saving love of God. So here's what we receive as believers in Jesus. We not only get an eternal, powerful, intimate love, we get assurance of that love for today and for tomorrow. Paul says that assurance comes to us in two ways. Verse 5 tells us that the Spirit testifies, really in a very subjective way, to our, uh, to our uh, being loved by God affirming that we are savingly loved by Him. Then secondly, Paul goes on to argue that the death of Jesus Christ for us is super abundant proof of God's love. So just as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, so we have assurance because of the truth of what Christ has done for us and because the Holy Spirit enables us to see that truth despite all of Satan's attempts to blind us to it and block us from this liberating vision and comprehension of the saving work of Jesus. So how are you and I to grow in grace? How do we become more like our Lord? Well, one good answer is that we fill our minds and we fill our hearts with the gospel, with the content of the good news, even while we seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So look with me uh, at the prayer of the Apostle Paul that we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, 
For he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, here's what he asked God to grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And so the central longing of that prayer accords with Paul's goal in Romans 5. It is this deep knowledge of how and how much we are loved by our Savior. And there are few things in the world, maybe none, that we need like we need that, to be rooted and grounded in love, to know the love of Christ. And, and how is that love described? Well, in Ephesians 3, it's described as something that surpasses knowledge. It is a mind-boggling love. And the apostle is praying that we would come to grasp it in its breadth and length and height and depth. And personally, I know of no better way to develop an appreciation for the love of Christ than to look carefully at the cross, which is where Paul points us in this fifth chapter of Romans. In his book, The Miracle on the River Kwai, Ernest Gordon tells apparently a true story of a group of POWs working on the Burma Railway during World War II. And he writes this, and I quote, At the end of each day, the tools were collected from the work party. On one occasion, a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing and demanded to know which man had taken the shovel. And he began to rant and to rave, working himself into a fury, and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward, but no one moved. All die! All die! shrieked the Japanese guard, cocking and aiming his rifle at the prisoners. At that moment, one man stepped forward, and the guard clubbed him to death with his rifle. When they returned to camp, the tools were counted again. Not one shovel, as it turns out, was missing. So what is it that motivates an innocent man to give his life in order to rescue the lives of others? Well, Jesus in John 15, 13, you know, said this, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. So the Lord, our Lord, points to this motivation of love, this laying down of your life for your friends. That comes from love. This is using the word love, of course, in its purest and most godlike sense. This is not the love of pizza or the love of football or the boy-girl love of popular music. This is the self-giving quest for the ultimate well-being of another. Uh, Abraham Lincoln referred to it as the full measure of devotion, and nowhere in human history, nowhere in the stories of men, either true or imaginary, is there a greater testimony to true love than the cross of Christ. For there, the perfect Son of God suffered and died in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, taking upon Himself our punishment in order that He might free us from bondage and give us life that is abundant and life that is eternal. And the more 
you and I understand the cross, the more we perceive in it the incredible love of our Savior. So when the New Testament talks about the love of Jesus or the love of the Father, it can hardly do so without joining that thought with the historical demonstration of that love that occurred at Calvary. Now, on occasion, I have asked, uh, asked individuals if he or she really believes himself or herself to be loved by God. Interesting question. Do you believe yourself to be loved by God? Often the answer would come back, oh, sure, God has given me a nice spouse, a job that I enjoy, pretty good health. And, and you know, those things are nice. They are. They are expressions of God's love. But the supreme expression of Christ's love is this pouring out of his life, the giving of himself as our sacrifice for sin. So listen to 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16. 1 John, the letter 3.16. We know, read it out with me. Let's all read it together. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us. Yeah. Ephesians 5.2, similar line of thought. Walk in love just as... Uh, just as Christ, uh, that's a, that's a boo-boo. <laughs> but walk in love just as Christ also loved us and laid down his life an offering and a sacrifice to God. So Christ expresses his love to us by giving his life. Sacrifice and love, they're brought together in every verse, and the cross is the sublimest display of that. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And what? Gave himself up for me. So there's that connection you see again. This is the manifestation. It is the cross or to the cross that we turn to discern God's heart toward us. It is to the cross we turn when we wonder if the Lord cares. There's a hymn that asks the question, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? The refrain of that hymn comes back, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. And my friend, the way we know he cares is to look to Calvary. There he forever sealed his love with his blood. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. But doesn't the love of Christ actually go a step further than that verse? Isn't the astounding thing about the love of our Lord that he actually exceeded the highest standard of love by laying down his life for people that were not his friends, indeed for people who were hostile to him. And so in our text, verse 6, we were still, while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the, the ungodly. That's what blows our minds. The rotten nature of the people Jesus died for. Two verses later, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet 
sinners Christ died for us. Now, what's a sinner? A sinner is someone who has rebelled against God, who has trampled the Holy One under their unholy feet, who has rejected the Lord and His law. In Romans 5, verse 10, we are actually called enemies. Paul says the demonstration of divine love is found in this suffering on behalf of sinners, on behalf of those whom He called enemies. Did Jesus die for His friends or for His enemies? Don't answer too quickly. (laughs) Did He die for His friends or His enemies? Well, He died for those he loved, but those he loved did not love him. It was for some of those who yelled, crucify him, that Jesus laid down his life. It was for some of those who jeered and mocked as he was being nailed to the cross that he died for these. These are the kind of people that Jesus loved and died for, people that, yes, were his enemies, but he died so that they were going to become his friends. So the answer is kind of both and to the question I asked. He died for people like you and people like me. So in the hymn that we sang by Charles Wesley, he puts the astonishment of this into words, and he says, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me, and I hope you can hear in that verse the incredulity behind it, died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And, and I, I would note, by the way, that he says the one who died for him is and was God. Romans 5.8 says that Christ's death for sinners proves whose love. Romans 5.8, what's it say? Whose love does it prove? God demonstrates. It proves God's love. If Jesus is not divine, his sacrifice only proves his love, not God's. But since he is God, his death for us proves God's love. The love of God, the, the love of the Son, the love of the Father amazing love. So how about you? Are are you amazed at what our Lord did for you? Paul says Christ died for sinners, for his enemies, for the helpless. Remember what we have seen already in Romans, what we have learned about our capacities. I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. And I stand in need of all things. I am helpless. So verse 8 supplies us with another one of those spectacular but gods. You see it here? But God. We can do nothing for ourselves. No, no. But God. But God. But God. He is our only hope, and the best reminder of this is, uh, is, is this. This is the best reminder. It is the cross. If you were to do a survey at some busy intersection in Pittsburgh, and you ask passers-by what a Christian is, uh, you know, you'd get a lot of interesting answers, don't you think? Uh, You would get a lot of varied, many misinformed answers. People will say, oh, a Christian is someone who does a lot of good for others, or a Christian is someone who tries to keep the commandments of God, and those are the nice answers. But most of you ask, uh, most you would ask, would not say anything that relates to this. The meaning and message of the cross 
is not that Christians are nice people trying to do good things, but that they are corrupt people who have broken God's law and broken God's heart and can only be rescued by the sacrifice of God's own perfect Son in their place. Jesus died for us not because we are worthy and wonderful, but because He is worthy and wonderful, and there is no other way to cover over our sin. So He died for us while we were yet sinners, because it is sinners who need His blood shed on their behalf. So where's your heart on this? Maybe you wonder to yourself, am I loved? Does anybody, does God himself love me? Does he really care about what I am going through? Sometimes in difficulty, uh, difficult circumstances, listen, we struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that God really cares. That is not uncommon. I'm looking out at people that have in the last year or so lost their spouse. I'm looking at people that have lost a brother or sister recently, or even, of course, a child and other disappointments that come our way in this world and, and griefs. We can all understand the questioning of the love of God at moments like that. Our Lord has testified to us of His love in as strong a terms as I can imagine. At times, though, we, the sinners for whom the Creator has crushed His own Son, find ourselves engaged in self-pity, in thinking and feeling that we have been, get this, mistreated. Wow. Even by God. God help us. God forgive us who live in the shadow of the cross Forgive us who have been sprinkled by the blood of God's Son for doubting that He cares, for daring to accuse God even of injustice, even of unfairness towards us. That's how bad it, it gets that we think the Lord, who mercifully sacrificed His Son for us, has not even given us a fair shake. Oh yeah, there are circumstances of life that can make us wonder, and for times like that, we have Jesus. And we have the Lord's table. For times like that, we have Jesus. And we have a word that banishes the notion that our problems are associated with some supposed lack of love in God. No way. No way. For times like that especially, we must stand or maybe we fall down and we gaze in wonder at the cross. Do not let the hour of your suffering eclipse for you the hour of Christ's suffering. Do not let the hour of your suffering block from your soul's vision the hour of Christ's suffering. Let your heart be renewed, your soul be refreshed in the miracle that is Calvary. More than any place I know, it is there at the cross that we learn about the breadth and length and the height and the depth of the love of God for us. It is there that the Son laid down His life for us in bloody agony. It is there that the Father crushed His dearly beloved under the weight of your sin and my sin that we might be reconciled to Him. All of love, all of love for the helpless and the sinful enemies of God who are also the elect objects of His unspeakable grace. Many there are in this world who have been given 
numerous reasons to believe that they are loved, but somehow they still don't see it, they don't feel it, they don't know the love. And that is precisely what Satan wants for them. They have listened to his lies, and they lack the assurance that they are secure in the hands of this merciful Father. So, the most consequential battle in your life is the one happening in your head and in your heart over this very question, am I loved by the King of heaven? Lucifer, that's the bad guy, argues one way. The cross argues a very different way. So let's look to the cross, listen to the cross, embrace the cross, because we need so badly to run repeatedly to the cross. The Lord has given us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the remembrance of His sacrifice, of His body broken, His blood shed. And we want to prepare ourselves now to remember Jesus together so that you and I leave here this place today with our cups running over with the joy of being loved by our Father and by His Son.